hello and good evening, uh, good day, as best a day as we can hope for. You're listening to Unfollow the Revolution, and uh, we're just as surprised as you are, actually. This is the actual voice of uh, David Gossett, accompanied, as always, by uh, my good friends. Yep, uh, David uh, Nair. Hi. And hi. Benjamin Mitchell. And um, we just want to take this time to uh, talk about a few things in the world mm-hmm. that I'm sure you may have noticed looking out the window um, or, or what have you. I am usually uh, the overconfident blowhard voice that just rambles on. But when it comes to real-life situations, I'm usually at a loss for words, and luckily, uh, both uh, David Nair and Ben Mitchell are a lot smarter than I am, so I'm actually going to do something that I would never do as Jack, and uh, take a step back for a moment, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, try and get into what's going on today. I think that our listeners are, uh, we're overdue for an explanation on what happened to unfollow yeah i'd say i'd say Um, long overdue that's that's fair yeah um so one we we're sorry we're sorry that uh the story hasn't continued but the the reason is the world around us it started to to not look so funny anymore it 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 quickly caught up with us it was it, it quickly became harder and harder to parody Mm-hmm. And uh, at first, it's I think unfollow started as a way for me specifically to deal with um, our our current like our current president, the current nat- yeah, nature of politics, and 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 sort of what was happening in the country. I needed some yeah. kind of outlet, some sort of creative outlet, mm-hmm. and that's what unfollow was. And yeah, it, I can I can say. I can say for me, it's I, I would describe it as uh, like you can't look at an eclipse directly. Like you need one of those little screens you look through to see the eclipse. Um, mm-hmm. For me, unfollow was basically like the country just gotten to a point where I needed to process it. I needed to fully understand it, but I couldn't look directly at it without going blind. So unfollow, as comedy often is for me throughout my life, it was a good tool to understand the real world. So, I mean, even to say like it's... I mean, I agree with Ben. It, it did get to a point where it felt like this is just too hard to make a joke about anymore. Um, but in the beginning, like, I mean, we took what we were joking about very seriously. Like, obviously, I don't think the three of us would have created an entire show about a dystopian government that parody that you know mirrors our own unless we were passionate about it and we believed, like, yeah, this is this is all very serious to us. Um, but it did just get to a point where humor did not feel like the best tool anymore. Even for even for myself, and I felt like, well, if it's not the right tool for myself, maybe it's not the right tool for other people listening, as well. Uh, as for me personally, as as time went on, eventually, you know, as we said that the the reality kept getting closer and closer and closer to what we were doing. So, in I guess to say to start with, uh, you could say that unfollow was uh, satire with a shotgun, um, and as seasons went on, it became satire with a knife. And it just became kind of more protracted and mm-hmm. hurt a little bit more each time of us being barely ahead of, of something horrible happening right, right. now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason that we're suddenly breaking that silence, um, despite 
I, uh, things got in the way all of a sudden. There was a pandemic, you know. Mm-hmm. It, we, uh, we actually, all three of us had a sudden row of, like, personal crisis in one of our lives. As soon as that ended, a personal crisis of another one of our lives. As soon as that ended, a <laughs> medical crisis of another one of our lives. And it just mm-hmm. stacked on for a while. And then COVID-19 happened. Yeah. So we've been we've been intending so, to do this this episode to come out and basically explain to you you know why we were stopping. Um, so sorry we took so long to do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we're now breaking that silence uh, mm-hmm. because there's a much more important message to get out, and that message is that Black Lives Matter. Um, I I contacted the guys and was like, you know, I've been in my personal life trying to use every facet I have. Yeah. to make that message heard yep. and i realized hey i i have this avenue as well and so i contacted yeah. the guys and said hey we've we've got to get this message out yeah and, and okay. i i mean obviously all three of us are supporting the black lives matters movement um mm-hmm. and have been from you know a while probably not as much as we should have honestly um no. i feel like we could have done more uh, looking back um i think basically every person especially every white person has a great opportunity now to kind of look back and go all right what could i have done better up until now why did it take to this point for me to feel the way i feel now and you know how can i how can i avoid going back to as placated about it as i was before um but yeah i I read a quote today i'm gonna butcher um that uh white supremacy will remain a problem until white people realize it's their problem to fix and Mm -hmm. not just a problem uh that for them to empathize with black people over like you you, it's white people have to step up and make a difference for this to end right um black people can do they can be out in the streets they can uh they've been doing this for years though you know they colin kaepernick kneeling you know Mm -hmm. it's it just doesn't end um and so until we get to a point where we're willing to make that change, it's going to stay the same. So yeah. this is an effort uh, to do that. This is a small effort right here yeah. to, to uh, push that message. Yeah, and I mean, as has been said, basically, we're just trying to use every outlet. I certainly don't think that the three white guys who run this podcast to have any message you haven't already heard or we're going to have any insight you haven't already heard. Um, But I think, you know, and I'm seeing this in the podcast I listen to. I'm seeing it in the hell companies, you know, I work with and shop from and are advertised to by um, just and I think it's a great just to saturate this message. Um, don't be able to turn away from it. Uh, so anything I can do and to contribute to that signal, I think is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't be silent about it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And like, as, as you pointed out, I mean, we're, we're a bunch of people who, when all this started, uh, even though it was a way of processing things, our, our end result was, you know, what's going to be a, a funny thing. And, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's it's a platform we have, and it's the avenue that we have to try and just get the message out, you know, that Black Lives Matter, that this is an important thing, that this is... Things need to change, things need to happen, and by gum, if all I have is, is a, a goofy <laughs> comedy podcast to try and spread and broadcast that message out... You know, basically at the moment, I, I have this, 
I have, uh, you know, the people that come into my pawn shop every week. (laughs) And, and I'm sure they're getting tired of me as well, but I'm not going to stop. So if you're, you know, this shows up on the feed and you're like, ah, where's some good, good goofs. And unfortunately we don't have any of those to give, but I hope you're still will listen. And, you know, if you, if this is something you're not wanting to think about or you're not wanting to confront, I, I can understand why that would be there, but it's not right to do that. You need to listen. You need to reevaluate um, the world around you and yourself. I know that I personally, uh, I could definitely have been doing more, you know, and the fact that it's something like this, that it is people being killed on camera, you know, mm-hmm with no immediate repercussions, you know, that's, that's sad. And that's shameful that this is what's having to motivate a nation, but we're here, you know? Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, it's very awful that it had to reach that point even. And, and it's been this way. It's been this way. I will say, yeah, like back, I mean, you guys are a little younger than me, but I remember back, um, you know, there was footage, I remember being a child and seeing footage of Rodney King being beaten, you know, and there was clear evidence, um, and there were no convictions. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, it's, it's been a problem for a long time. And I, I don't know, honestly, what it was about this moment, um, that created this swell that, you know, across the nation, across the world, honestly, I mean, I saw um, pictures from, you know, other countries where they're protesting their own uh, police brutality and their own uh, discrimination policies. Um, it's not just America's mm-hmm. problem, but it's... Yeah, though, yeah. And I, I, I don't know what it is about this moment. If, if COVID-19 had something to do with it, that maybe... I, 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 I think I thought of that. things. I, I think that... Um, and I, obviously, I'm, I'm no expert in any of this. Yeah. This will, no, we're, this, we're all speculating. What's, hap- yeah. right, this <laughs> is what's happening sure. right now will be studied. Um, yes. This yeah. will be in history books. <laughs> right. Um, uh, no question. But I, I think some of it has to do with the nature of the footage that we saw. The the <laughs> That is true. Just yeah. it was the length of so time. Yeah. The, yeah, it's it's an absolutely horrible thing to, to witness. And, and just the sheer, like, indifference at best from that mm-hmm. cop about what was going uh, about what he was doing indifference at best if not like outright maliciousness um yeah. i think that has something to do with it i think the um i think the just the number of killings in a row that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we were hearing about ahmaud aubrey uh brianna taylor yeah. being shot in her own home while she was sleeping uh and then george floyd th- those things back to back to back like yeah, the fact that forty million people are unemployed in in the U.S. right now, mm-hmm. the fact that uh, COVID nineteen has had us pent up in our apartments, or in our yeah. homes, uh, the I think part of what we what we're seeing is uh, the lack of work of those forty million people have has given people time to reflect and think, whereas. In, I mean, in, in, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough that I haven't lost my job at all. Like, my work hasn't really slowed down. I've just gone yeah. to work in an office to work in at home. But yeah. um, my life, I mean, everyone's life has slowed down. Um, and a mm-hmm. lot of distractions and a lot of, you know, 
the routines that we were in got disrupted. And I think, I mean, it's unfortunate to say that that's what it took, but I think, yeah, you, I mean, I think, especially as a white person in this country, it can be very easy to, you know, it's white supremacy is like, it's water to a fish. Like the fish doesn't recognize the water. It just always been there. And it's such a process of, you know, work to go through and recognize the white supremacy in your own life and the privilege you have, uh, because it's always been there. Um, but I think when you have an opportunity to slow down, you can kind of see it a lot better. You can, your, your routines are disrupted. You can look and you have a moment to reflect on it. Um, and another thing, you, know, you mentioned, I, if... you, sorry, you mentioned the, uh, the loss of jobs, um, the uh -huh. COVID-19 infections, um, and time and time again, it is shown that whenever America faces a problem, it disproportionately will affect African-Americans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if mm -hmm. America has a recession, it will disproportionately affect African-Americans. If America has an outbreak mm -hmm. it, and we see this with COVID-19, it disproportionately affects African-Americans. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think there's I think all of those factors have played into to what we're seeing. Um, but it's unfortunate that it took all of that to mm -hmm. coalesce this movement. And I it should have been done sooner. Um and no I think question. that's on, I think that's largely on white America. Um, yeah. I, I know m you, you mentioned that you've had it, you were able to, you know, you're able to keep your job and, and work from mm -hmm. home. I, uh, you know, I've lost mine and um, mine largely served offices, which work from home now. And so yeah. I, I don't really have that opportunity. So I, I have been, um, you know, I, I have been at home and I, I watch this happen, and so my experience this over the last like week or so, um, if you know, I, I, well, I kind of wanted to explain it a little bit. I don't know, just I don't know if it helped people connect or relate um, to what's happening, but uh, I'll tell it. So back in the fall of 2019, I was following like Hong Kong very closely. Um, yeah. I was watching what was happening over there and my heart ached for them and I, I i i thought many times how badly i wanted to help them and i i looked at all of the police brutality um and then saturday night um may what 30th um this was two days after this was two days of atlanta protesting um never mind you know the rest of the nation had started before Atlanta, a lot of uh, no, mm. some of the rest of the nation had already started before Atlanta. And Saturday night, I was after we had like we were playing a board game or whatever. It took freaking like five hours. Um, and I sat down after to catch up on what was happening, and I just saw images after images of the police brutality on protesters. And I was like, oh my god, this is exactly what I saw in Hong Kong. I'm seeing the exact same kind of tactics. I'm watching uh, children get uh, maced. I'm watching uh, protesters get run over with vehicles. I, all of this I saw in Hong Kong, and it was like, well, that's just China, though. That's just the heavy-handed authoritarianism yeah. of China. And then I saw it here, and I was like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I have, to, I have to be a part of that. I have to help. This is This is... Uh, if I'm the person I thought I was in the fall when I was watching all that, then I've got to be out there. Um, now I, I have a heart condition. 
and so COVID-19, should I get it, has the potential to uh, be uh, severe for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I made that decision, I got really scared. I got really scared. I think I literally had a fight or flight response. Uh, My heart started pounding in my chest. Like, I could feel it. It was like, it was insane. So it was so fast. My breathing was really ragged, just like short and ragged. And I like, I ended up like getting up and going into my closet and just sitting in the dark and trying to like fight that fear um, over the decision I was making. Uh, But I came through it. I made the decision that other people before me, other lives before my own, like I accepted that this could potentially kill me um, and I said it doesn't matter um, th- if I die if I die doing what I wanted to do I died for something worthwhile um, and it, it, coming to that point I, I saw a quote the other day that said um, in times of uncertainty what's important to you becomes clear and I, I really felt that in that time I suddenly like things crystallized for me about what I care about in life what is most important to me in life uh, I think I've had plenty of distractions and stuff um, so Sunday I went out and I marched with black students um, who at the beginning of the rally were like allies you are here to amplify our voice that's it that's what you're here for don't this isn't your movement and I, you know, and, and uh, that was good to hear because I've had a lot of frustrations with like Trump and things like that. And this felt like and could be an outlet for that. But it was a good reminder that, no, this isn't about me. This is not about my frustrations. It's about the, uh, com- the, the inequality that black people have faced their entire existence here. Um, and... Uh, so we marched and we marched i calculated uh nine miles around the city we mar- we marched mm-hmm. oh god we marched forever it was it was brutal uh <laughs> but it was it was great to be surrounded by that number of people um who all felt similarly and then monday came around and we went back out and we were part of a group of people at City Hall, uh, and we listened to some guest speakers, and then we started marching again. It was a much smaller group this time. And we marched down a ramp, and once we were, as we were marching down that ramp, we were met by state troopers. Um, and they uh, grabbed our leaders, and we kind of, you know, shouted them down, and we're like, hey, you know, let them go, let them go. And we linked arms, and we, well, we lifted arms at one point and we were chanting, don't shoot, don't shoot. We linked arms and um, eventually uh, there we came to a peaceful resolution and they asked us to march back up off of off of this like underpass. Uh, and so we did so. And when we reached the top of the street, they had a line of cops in uh, riot gear with riot shields and they blocked us off in that street. We couldn't go anywhere. We had cops behind us. We had cops in front of us. Literally, we were trapped. And then we stood there not knowing what to do. Well, we couldn't go anywhere, and they wanted us gone. 
um, they eventually uh, they were picking people off here and there and um, like uh, grabbing them and arresting them those that like kind of got behind when we were originally marching back up the street and then they um, said over a uh, megaphone they said you have two minutes to clear the street or you will be arrested so we split into two groups and moved to the sidewalk on either side of the uh, street we were on the sidewalk and when we got there um, they blocked us in so that we were stuck on the sidewalk we, we couldn't go anywhere. we couldn't leave the street still they had that they had the uh, block blocked off on either side and then they stood in front of us to keep us on the sidewalk and during this time during this entire time more and more cops and National Guard started showing up we had maybe 150 200 people something like that I think by the time we were um, by the time all this ended there was over 300 cops and National Guard surrounding us it was insane um, but we were on the on the sidewalk as we complied with what they said and then they started coming onto the sidewalk and grabbing black protesters the white protesters had linked arms to create like a, a shield as, as it were um, but it didn't matter they, they tore through us and grabbed black protesters not the white protesters black ones I only saw black protesters arrested that day even though we were we complied with every order they gave us we were on the sidewalk peacefully protesting someone said something about obstruction of sidewalk and I looked up city of Atlanta ordinances it had nothing to do with what we were doing that's like for vendors with like equipment that block the sidewalk mm -hmm. so people can't get through we were peacefully protesting and they came on the sidewalk and grabbed us anyway uh, we had one uh, older black guy who got caught up in all of this and saw what was happening and grabbed a megaphone and started talking to the cops trying to calm them down and stuff they grabbed him um, me they didn't grab me a guy um, a black guy tripped and fell as they were pushing us off the sidewalk they started saying move or you will be arrested if you do not stop if you stop moving we will arrest you and so they um, they just kept pushing us and a black guy tripped and fell over and I reached down to try and help him up and I got battered backwards by riot shields into other riot shields and five or more cops fell on that black man and started arresting him because he tripped they pushed us across the street and pretty much disbanded the whole protest um, and I, I just just in that experience alone like and, and that's not near as bad as it has been in the rest of the country um, but just in that one little protest alone I, I it was very clear to me the uh, the inequality um, and it, not only that but like my feelings toward cops quickly quickly changed like not ever been like that positive toward them but my um, uh, I, w I had a fam family member who was a cop so I like tried to you know I was always tried to like play it down but I think there's a real problem with the um, with with the what's the word I'm looking for um, with the institution I guess I think they're just all I think a lot of cops just kind of fall in line um, mm -hmm. and even if they w are like good people they turn a blind eye in a lot of cases or um, uh, anyway 
it was like i said it was that was the scariest day that i had um in the whole thing most of the rest of the week I, i protested and I was with thousands, and they there were too many of us to mess yeah. with. But the minute they could, the minute they f- they brought in is and this was before Trump's speech about or about or and before Trump's photo op and his law and right. order speech and all of that. This was before that, but it was after, I believe the call with the governors where he said that you've got to dominate this. Right. So I personally believe that Brian Kemp was acting under Trump's orders to try and dominate this protest. Um, but. Yeah. And uh, uh, for, uh, for, for, for the record, uh, the, the technique you described where you were directed to one way and then there were cops blocking you and there were cops blocking the way behind, that's a technique known as mm-hmm. kettling. Um, okay, it's, like a, it's a well-known, yep. yep, it's a well-known tactic um, that authoritarian police have used to, and it, you know, just like exactly what happened to you, um, you can with that you can turn a peaceful protest and make it look like oh well, they weren't following orders, but you're mm-hmm. the police are giving orders that they are preventing you from following. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly, right. um, and they just they yeah, um, so yeah, that I mean. That has, uh, you know, that's a small bit of the experience um, I've had this week. I, I've seen, I've been, I've seen a lot of good things though. I've I've had a lot of hope. Uh, mm-hmm. The sheer numbers of people I've seen come out despite a pandemic yeah. going on to protest this. It's it's uplifting and um, I, and powerful in its own way. But. Uh, I, I've also learned over, over this week, like what I thought being an ally to black people meant was wrong, you know, uh, it, yeah, it's uh, a me lot too. of work. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think, um, um, I mean, I'm sure anyone who listens to unfollow, uh, is liberal. Like there's no way you would have <laughs> stuck with us anywhere near this long unless you were liberal. So I'm sure you're already, you know, unless you on took board it with the black very seriously. <laughs> right. And we, we yeah, always, we always like wonder, we always wonder yeah, if there were 12 the, people the who like sincerely loved the manifest. Um, and, were and just really like really were big nothing. fans of tag early on. Just being like, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. He's actually got it right. Like, yeah, I make some good points. He's the voice of my people. Yeah. Um, anywho, um, um, but yeah, so again, so as I was saying, yeah, anyone listening to Unfollow, I'm sure is very liberal. And I mean, the three of us consider ourselves very liberal. And I, I mean, during the Trump presidency, I, I know I myself am becoming more politically active, more politically aware. I mean, I mean, Unfollow was kind of, like I said, my tool to start looking at some things I hadn't been looking at. Um, and as I did that through humor, also in my personal life, I was doing more and more, um, seriously about it uh and getting more involved uh, which i'm going to continue doing but i think with you know with black life matters specifically i was always well yeah of course of course black life matters and of course this movement has a great point and of course i'm part of it um and of course you know america has not valued black lives um to this day and it's, it's we still have systemic problems um but I think I've been far too passive, and I think um, mm-hmm. 
that's one thing I've heard a lot and thought a lot about and been like, yeah, this is not, to Ben's point, it's not something, uh, it's something we have to fix as white people in ourselves and in the world. Um, because it, we, we all have to look, uh, and all have to do something. Um, and it's by simply believing, yep, the world is, is racist and they're racist systems and I'm going to do my best not to perpetuate them. It's like, well, just me living my life, I'm perpetuating them. Um, and unless I am actively doing something to dismantle them, they will, mm-hmm. they'll persist. Yeah. I, I, I think that's really it. I think it's, um, right the, the it's it's a structure it's been built this way so unless yes. we dismantle yes. it it will remain this way like there it, yeah there has and, to and, be a certain and, level of and, act, active to beat it if anyone looks at you know the at the footage for george floyd um and, just, and i mean all the footage that exists um of police brutality of everyday people being racist of you know um there's a an instinct maybe especially if you're coming from a place of white privilege to look at it and go god the world's the world's become broken and it's very important you realize this is not a broken world this world is functioning exactly as it was designed to do mm-hmm. like the you know yeah. what we are seeing the violence we're seeing um the the disregard for black lives that was intentional that was structured it was by design and lots of people have yeah. worked on it um through generations um, to make that happen and yeah. the only and way think... you're going to stop it is actively confronting it and actively dismantling it we have to work mm-hmm. just yeah. as hard as the you know just as hard as the uh the confederate soldiers fought to protect slavery just as hard as the ku klux klan uh fought to uh protect white power in the south and, and disenfranchise black people and, and strike fear into their hearts and just as hard as um, conservatives are, are pushing, you know, narratives uh, to paint the protesters as thugs and looters and, you know, violent. Um, we have to push just as hard back. It's not enough to yeah. just look at and go, I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't think that uh, that means that you necessarily have to be on the front lines. If you can do that, go for it. Mm-hmm. Be be part of the protest. I, I say that, like, at, coming from a place where I had to come to a point where I decided my la- life was less valuable than, um, push like, than pushing for this change. I, I thought, hey, this is bigger than me, mm-hmm. and so this is not an easy place to come to. If you can come to that place, great. If you can't, there's a bunch of other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sign petitions. Uh, donate the uh, bail bonds or like here in Georgia we've yeah. got fair fight um, uh, mm-hmm. vote good lord for the love of god vote um, one one thing that uh, one thing that ha- helped me realize how hard all of this is is I confronted my family on social media the uh, like early this week and man, my family shut me down. I was asking for a simple thing. I, was, I, I just thought someone had po- uh, sort of painted the protesters in a bad light, and they'd never ever mentioned anything about George Floyd or anything mm-hmm. about the atrocities that have happened that have caused these protests. They just painted the protesters in broad light uh, or a bad light. And 
I just said, hey, like, the thing that you're even referencing has used more neutral language than you're using right now. So I just urge you to, you know, follow suit. And, you know, also, I said, maybe feel free to call out the injustice uh, about George Floyd's killing and that kind of thing. And I had another member of my family uh, jump in and try and shut me down. I was cordial. I tried, at least I believe so. I tried to be incredibly cordial and and well-worded trying to explain my point and that this was not an attack. And that's the thing. I think a lot for a lot of white people, especially when this is so uncomfortable to talk about, that Mm -hmm. it feels like they're being personally attacked when they're confronted with it. And, y'all, that's white supremacy. That's what that is. Uh, It's not an attack. It's just, you know, like we should feel comfortable especially your own family you should feel comfortable being able to discuss these kind of hard issues without being attacked and um unfortunately i did not experience with that with my family i did get a good experience with that with my friends recently yesterday in fact uh with voting i you know i kind of brought a couple of them look we had some real bad voter suppression here in georgia Mm -hmm. uh lines are super long for whatever reason, I, I I hear Republican excuses from um, uh, what's his name, what, our Secretary of State. Um, uh, r- 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 uh, I, <laughs> Brad R. Anyway, he, he you know he blamed uh, he specifically blamed Fulton County and all of that, and he isn't taking any. Um, blame on himself any responsibility he's the secretary of state it is his job to provide elections to the state the buck stops with leadership if you are Mm -hmm. in a leadership position the responsibility ultimately falls on you and he didn't he wouldn't accept any um, any blame for that despite the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and all that we that all of the issues that went on yesterday should have been thought about should have been considered because we're in the oh, middle yeah. of a pandemic. We should oh, yeah. definitely be moving to an all mail-in uh, ballot system, mm-hmm. like period. That if I we mean, care about democracy, that's the answer here. If you if you look at how some corporations were able to shift swiftly in light of COVID nineteen and how how swiftly some of them, much smaller than the state of Georgia, with much fewer resources, were able to adapt, um, mm-hmm. it just took effort and money, um, and I feel. The state of Georgia could have prepared 100%. I mean, and it's... Uh, they gave themselves extra months, even, Raffensperger. to do so. Mm-hmm. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, absolutely, uh, if he wanted to, if he wanted to spend the money, if it was important, it would have happened. I mean, we you talk about... Um, there's a great expression I've, I've uh, once heard a former NASA scientist talk about, um, about looking at what a country can do when it decides something is important. Um, and you know there are lots of great examples. And he says whenever you see a, a country fail to do something, look at what that country has succeeded in doing, and that'll show you what's important. When you see us, we failed yep. to uh, provide proper personal protection um, to our, our frontline workers fighting the coronavirus. Um, yep. But we were able to give military grade weapons to the police. Yep. And that that shows a priority. And, you know, we were able um, to 
get, we were able to mobilize the National Guard uh, in a day or two's notice uh, to confront protesters around the country. Given three months, we weren't able to uh, prepare for uh, a, a state election. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, that's an excellent point. I hadn't really considered the full implications of that. That's, mm-hmm. That really does show where the where priorities lie and mm-hmm. that's kind of scary um in fact it's terrifying um i lost my point a little bit earlier but what i was trying to say is that i had friends that saw that voter suppression and decided i it's too long of a line you know i know it's too much blah excuse 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 and right. i i called them out on it and in a, i was actually kind of mad um but I think the post that I made to them, the message I sent to them was more how hurt I was by that because of what I've been doing the past week. Mm-hmm. And and that is, again, nothing compared to what black people experience. And yet you won't go stand in a line for three, four, four hours. I, look, it sucks. And it's definitely voter suppression. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's luxury voter suppression. That's as, like, good as it's, you know, going to get. Uh <laughs> as far as suppression is concerned so and we've got to it's like if we don't vote it's not going to get better mm-hmm. um, oh yeah it's, anyway it, it's only going to get worse i mean if yeah if 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 people really were turned away by three or four hours that enables the voter suppression and next time it'll be worse and when it finally gets to the yeah. point of okay now it's gotten to i mean I, you know i feel like this is what happened with with the trump um presidency that a lot of people had kind of taken their hands off the wheel and been like, yeah, the country's going in a good direction. I'm okay with it. Um, sure, there's some bad stuff, but I'm not going to worry about it too much because we're ultimately heading in a, in a good direction. Um, and by the time it was, oh, no, no, we've got some real problems. We need to deal with them. Those problems had gotten too big to deal with uh, in, in a good way, you know? Yep. Um, I think voter suppression, like, if you um, can't handle three or four lines, if, three or four hours mm-hmm. for a line right now, it's going to be a lot worse next time. Um, but I, I, my, uh, plea managed to get to them and they actually oh, did good. go vote, but, and, and which is fantastic. It really is. Yeah, that's I, I'm, I'm really I'm glad very happy that. that happened. Uh, yeah. but let me tell you, it was hard and it hurt me all day long to have done that. I did like, I, this group is mostly white friends and mm-hmm. in fact, yeah, no, no black people in the group. And, um, ha- I don't know. I wonder if they could have said the same thing if there had been a black person in that group. If they could have mentioned, like, oh, no, it's a three-hour line. I can't go vote. That's mm-hmm. too much, you know, or whatever it is. Like, if a black person had been in that group, would they have even said that? Or would they have kept their mouth quiet about it? But, yeah, I, I, I'm glad I spoke up. But, God, it was hard. And it, it hurt me all day long to, that I had to do that for multiple reasons that that I had to – um, do it in the first place it like it very much disappointed me um, mm-hmm. the fact that I was then afraid that I might lose my friends for having called them out like that um, that I had a mo- it was an emotional labor and that ate my whole day it like affected me the entire day and at the end of the day I was talking and I was like what gives me I think as humans we have a desire to it is like built into us to um seek out comfort um, yeah 
That's like it's like a natural coding. Like if we can find comfort, then we have done something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a lot for me to come out of my comfort and start protesting and th- that kind. Of, it took so much. Like I cannot impress on you how hard that was to do. And so then I thought yesterday, I was like, what? What gives me the right to? then turn to my friends and say hey you got to leave your comfort because like this is what we're this is like a natural impulse in us to find that so what gives me the right to say like leave that and do something uh and um i asked that question uh to my girlfriend and she responded and she said she said the she relayed uh She reminded me of uh, something that had happened at at a protest just this past Sunday. We were with the um, organizer, or we were, you know, we were with our big group, and the organizer had asked and said, uh, white allies, look around and find the nearest black person and look them in the eye, you know, Uh, acknowledge them. And so I turned to that, uh, the nearest person, and I offered my elbow to his open hand Mm. Uh, because I'm still afraid of the pandemic. And he closed his hand, balled it into a fist, and tapped my elbow. But then he re-offered it, and I realized he needed me to shake his hand. And I said, okay, I'll, I, I, I should do this. So I did, and I shook that man's hand. And I made a commitment to, um, to fight for these people, to fight for him, to fight for all of the injustice years and years and years past. Um, and for their future and uh, my girlfriend said that is what gives you the right to call them out of their comfort zone because you made a commitment Um, and that that really that hit me hard I realized yeah yeah like because these people don't get to just like they have to live with this every day. They have to live outside of comfort every day because that's how bad racial inequality is. They don't get a choice. That's just how it is. Um, they don't have. They don't get to like sit there and be like, "Well, do I leave my life of comfort for to to help?" They don't get that choice. That's just how they have to live, for, and that has to change. Black Lives Matter. My mind goes to, um, sorry I've been so quiet lately. Y'all are much better, much more well-spoken and eloquent than me. Uh, my mind, what you were talking about of people who find comfort with what's there. My mind does go back to, we're from the South. We're all from the South. And, uh. Stuff's weird around here uh, in regard to a lot of things. One thing that has been a a nice result has been uh, people finally cracking down on the Confederate flag and and getting that nonsense out of here, which is good. But a lot of uh, people still want to fight back about that, the idea of, oh, it's it's heritage, not hate, which is, again, a lie. Um, But growing up, I may have agreed. If, If I was like, you know, five, six years old, absolutely. Because that was the world that I was taught. We were all taught a certain world and mm-hmm. 
sometimes we have to learn how to question things and look back on that. And the thing that it comes out to is, you know, saying like, oh, well, my grand, you know, my great grandfather, he, you know, he fought for the Confederate side. He fought for his country. He fought for his homeland. He wasn't fighting for this. At the end of the day, what they were fighting for were rich plantation owners, because most of these people, you know, small farmers, off like that. They may not have owned any themselves, but they had the idea that cushion that at least they had something. And if someone else had nothing, that meant they weren't the bottom of the ladder. And the idea that that having equality would would jeopardize themselves is enough for them to grab arms and fight. It doesn't matter how good of a person they were or with what honor they fought or anything like that. They still were compliant and complicit in a system built upon oppression of someone else. And we're still in the foundations of that. It's been so long, and we're still under those bones, still reaching out. We have... I live in northwest Georgia. We have a lot of Confederate statues, and luckily a lot of action is finally being taken. Let's get these gone. Let's get these... One of them... I, uh, I can't, I, I'd yeah. like to interrupt for a second. Absolutely. Just, just remind anyone in Georgia that Kemp signed a law that Confederate statues cannot be removed unless they are put in a place of similar prominence. So the idea of like getting them removed and put into a museum or something probably unlikely because our shit ass governor is a racist asshole. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the statues in Rome, Georgia is for uh I believe uh, Nathan uh Bedford Forrest, I believe was his name. Uh, and the reason he's up there is because, uh, as people will say, like, oh, well, he protected Rome during the during the burning of Sherman and all that stuff. They also forget the fact that he led uh, essentially a, a massacre of uh, black troops, uh, which soldiers in his platoon uh, described in letters as one of the most haunting, gory, horrible, horrific experiences they'd ever dealt with in their entire lives. But these people who have grown up just seeing a statue every day and not thinking about it, then it's normalized. And the idea of I, someone's trying to take away the normal thing. You have to ask yourself, why is that okay? You know, you, you have to look within that. Sometimes, and sometimes it sucks. It really does. Uh, I was on an anniversary a few years ago in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I love Tennessee. It's a beautiful state, beautiful country. And then every other shop just festooned with confederate flags everywhere and that made me feel horrible but i'm glad that it did because at least it told me that like this is wrong (laughs) you know Uh, and that even that went on a weird tangent but that's i guess what my mind went to Mm -hmm. always always question where you came from always question why you think the things that you do and you know it's okay to change and grow as a person you know Um, it's hard though it's very hard it's not it's it hurts and it's not easy the minute that you open the door to realizing some of these things that you may have contributed to white supremacy Oh God! It is. It's like it's like being crushed under a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. It 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 really does hurt. 
So don't expect that. Don't expect like, oh, uh, the journey to being a good person is no, it sucks. It fucking sucks. Yeah. But it's worth it. It's oh, yeah. uh I at the end of the day, I think we've we've got a at the end of the day, I think it's just it needs to be about people. It needs to be about others. Yeah. Um, I have a list of books that you can you could look into and, and read if you're curious about like studying these things further. Some of the things we've mentioned, like how the how the system has been built the way it is, um, uh, the, that you could you can find information about that in the new Jim Crow um, by Michelle Alexander. Uh, different ways to educate might be the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. How to be anti-racist by Ibram Kendi. Um, there's there's a just a number of, of books that you can um, look into. Um, uh, we were eight years in power by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Like the 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 list is ongoing. Um, it probably take a quick Google check to give you. 20 or more books where you can uh, really understand um, why things are the way they are and what you can do to change them. Right on. Um, if I may, uh, not necessarily book suggestions, although I think I, I would also be cool with the, we could also share a uh, in more uh, more detail, places that we can donate to to help the cause, uh, those book recommendations as well. I actually have uh, two quotes. I'm a, a person who who derives a lot from fiction, as it were, because uh, sometimes it's a little comforting to see something that was written, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, to you know, thousands of years ago, that still kind of touches upon the same things. Uh, this one's from an old issue of what if actually where it's what if captain america was waking up today whereupon he wakes up to a uh, nation that has been taken over by uh fascist white supremacists don't know where they would have gotten that idea but captain america does a captain america speech which goes as follows listen to me all of you out there you were told by this man your hero that america is the greatest country in the world he told you that americans were the greatest people that america could be refined like silver could have the impurities hammered out of it and shine more brightly. He went on about how precious America was, how you needed to make sure it remained great. And he told you anything was justified to preserve that great treasure, that pearl of great price, that America. Well, I say America is nothing. Without its ideals, its commitment to the freedom of all men, America is a piece of trash. A nation is nothing. A flag is a piece of cloth. Um, that's one. The other one, uh, a little bit more on the religious side, uh, as it were. It doesn't come up a lot, but I, I do find some solace in parts of uh, Christianity. Not necessarily the, the type you see on TV or the type that used to uh, sell stuff, because that's not really... That's its own thing. But I'm a fan of the, the Book of James, which is uh, very Jewish and very anti-Pauline in its doctrine. 
regarding uh, thoughts and prayers and the idea of people being like, oh, well, you know, my, my prayers are that things are going to get resolved, things will be fixed. Um, from James, uh, James 2, verse 16, or verse 15, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So. Yeah. It's, uh, if you want something to happen, pray to God, but row to shore. You know, so. It's, uh... Um. I know this isn't what you normally come to unfollow for, uh, <laughs> but if you made it this far, thank you for listening to what we have to say, um, and I hope that it will challenge you to take action, yes. to educate yourself, um, to re to self-assess, and, and figure out what's important to you and what you can do um, to... To achieve that absolutely and i want to add one point uh that's going to be a bit hypocritical as it's coming from three white guys um but <laughs> definitely educate yourself definitely take action but just like the organizers of the protests uh, that ben was at um said you know hey allies you are here to support uh i think definitely um for not just white people for you know uh any person who is not black i'm i'm half indian and i know in the context of black Lives matters that makes me white um because no one's going to look at me and see a black man and uh anyway uh, i think it's important to listen and to follow that's a weird thing to say coming from unfollow but follow the leadership of african americans in this movement because they're the ones who have the experiences that we can't understand and um if they need we need to be following them and not trying to guide this movement um we're just here to support it and as much as you can amplify the voices of african americans because oh, yeah. yep. they've uh for too long they've been ignored in this country yep and so yeah well this has been uh a sobering episode of Unfollow yeah. the Revolution. Um, probably our least funny. Uh, I don't know. There are some Pro- season two probably. episodes. Yeah. There are some season two episodes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some stinkers in there, guys. Yeah. But um, we thank you for listening. And Oh, yeah. If, if this is the last recording we're going to do for Unfollow, uh, yeah, thank you, listeners. Um, we really appreciate you being there. And thank you to anyone who told someone else about the podcast. Um yeah. Definitely, uh, thank you to Rock Punch for giving us the platform. Um, especially thank you to Molly, our editor, who put more hours into this than anybody. And uh, thank you to all of our guests. Uh, it's just been a great experience for us. So thank you. But don't stop the fight just because we might stop. Just oh, yeah. Just we're stopping the podcast. Keep <laughs> it up. Go vote. Go vote in November. Jesus, please. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And, and there's a long road between now and then that yeah. we. Um, we need we need to help and it doesn't uh, even end after november injustice. so you you know like nair said use your privilege um that's uh, we're three white guys we have lots of privilege yeah uh and i challenge both um 
my co-podcasters and anyone listening that is white to get out there and use that privilege to help black people be heard. Absolutely. Well, with, with that, um, thank you all so much for listening. I've been David Gossett. And I have been David Nair. And I've been Benjamin Mitchell. And this has been Unfollow the Revolution. Keep fighting the good fight and keep standing up for the little guy. Unfollow the Revolution is created and performed by David Gossett, Ben Mitchell, and David Nair. Produced by Rock Punch. Intro music by Alan Hanks. Voiceover by Kate Rasnick.